In this episode of the Business of E-Commerce, I talk with Ryan Berman. This is the Business of E-Commerce, episode 31. Welcome to the Business of E-Commerce, the podcast that helps e-commerce retailers start, launch, and grow the e-commerce business. I'm your host, Charles Pulaski. I'm here today with Ryan Berman. Ryan is the founder of Courageous, a consultancy that builds and leads courage brands. I want to talk with Ryan today about some ways to make your brand a bit more courageous. So, hey, Ryan, how are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? Doing well. So, in your own words, would you be able to actually tell us a bit about Courage Brands and kind of what you do and kind of a bit about your background? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I've spent 20 years in the creative agency space, helping companies from Puma to UNICEF to the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Association. And... Um, in layman's, I help stuck companies get unstuck. And not, by the way, saying any of those companies were stuck, but that's what I do best. Um, what I've learned is that most companies are in preservation mode and, uh, and and are trying to get to what I call liberation mode. And I think courage of all things is the way to do it. So if I asked you, you know, if you think about your brand right now and there was a spectrum, would you be more on the courage brand side or the coward brand side? And of course, nobody wants to think they're on the coward's brand side. No, nobody so, wants to be a coward brand. So. Nobody wants to be a coward brand. So so another way that I like to say that really is to have a gut check. Um, is your brand obsessed about or is it obsolete? And where does it sit between the two? And, uh, and what I've done is study human behavior. And as a compensated observationalist, it's really looking at what's out there and trying to figure out a way to make people care about you. Hmm, okay, so now let's say I'm a retailer. I'm trying to apply this to you know our kind of audience. And how would you kind of think about how would you position yourself as a brand and kind of think about yourself and how would you determine where you fall in that spectrum? Yeah, what very makes brand courageous. Yeah, very fair, very very fair. Um, I think it starts with clarity, and I think it's about having an honest conversation with yourself. I mean, the first part of what you just asked me was, let's say you're a retailer. So that's a big red flag right there, right? If you're an e-tailer versus a retailer, the, the landscape of retail is, is completely changing. And so um, one of the things that I look at is what's really going to keep you up at night? And are you having that honest conversation with yourself? There's a very famous proverb that fear and courage are brothers, that you actually can't get to the courageous choice without first channeling it through fear. But what I've found is that most companies, they suppress fear versus address fear. So how do you smoke out that fear and actually start to do something about it? So if you're a retailer, how are, how are the, the trends changing in retail? And I guess when I say retailer too, I'm also applying that. I'm, I'm using retail in the very broad term, right? Of retail is online and offline, right? Or it could be, yeah, it could be both. Could be, um, you know, could it just be online retail? Um, so I, I use retail as- um, Very loosely, yeah. Yeah, very loosely. Everything's retail nowadays. That's true. I think it's a good point. But again, that, that's where I go. And remember, I've just spent the last thousand days studying brands that are dying or brands that aren't moving fast enough to pivot to, to all these changes. And really, when you're having a conversation about courage, you're having a conversation about the courage to change and to figure out what tomorrow looks like and how to best position yourself for tomorrow. So, um, you know, one of the things that I've learned also is just the way that we're wired is the problem. So if you run a small company, you're constantly trying to convince convince yourself out of complicated, courageous moves because we like to save. Um, I'll give an example. If you're in the hospitality business right now, 
I'd say 75% of them look at Airbnb and think not a threat. All right. So if you're in the, let, let me ask you, cause you're not in the hospitality business. If you were in the hospitality business, would you take Airbnb seriously? Yeah. It's funny. Not, it's one of those things I know what you're saying and being on the outside, it seems like they're eating them up. Same thing with like Uber. Um, I was talking to Uber driver yesterday with the whole cab business, but yeah, being inside, I feel like you feel like you must feel inside as, as like, um, very protected, you know, you have the walls around you, you have the brand. Um, but from the outside, yeah, it, it seems like they're, they're coming after them fast. Yeah. One, one of my favorite interviews for my, my, uh, my book that's coming out in January, sorry for the early plug, um, was with a guy named Roger Martin. Roger Martin was, he ran, um, IP for Qualcomm. And if you know anything about Qualcomm, I mean, they're, they're the billions from an annual revenue standpoint. And Roger loves zombie movies. So for 45 minutes, we talked about the metaphor of zombies and businesses looking at companies and not taking them seriously enough or not taking them serious enough. So he used to say, like, zombies move slow. Like, you see them coming, but you just don't take them seriously. And somehow they get on the plane and they fly over to your town and then they infest you and, and you try to call 911 and they've already taken down that infrastructure and then it's too late. And so I think Airbnb is sort of the zombie of the hospitality business. We all see it coming. They move slow. If you're on the inside, like at a Westin or a Marriott, maybe you don't take it as seriously as you should. And I think this is the sort of the first, uh, you know, sort of piece of advice. Um, ho hoping something isn't going to get you is not a strategy. And probably a similar thing with uh, e-commerce versus, like you said, actual brick and mortar retail, right? Where, you know, I'm trying to think even 20 years ago, you probably bought the first thing online and then it was, it, retailers weren't nervous then. And then all of a sudden now it's become, you know, and it's still even, I think the numbers are still, it's like only 30% of transactions are actually retail transactions are online still. So it's still actually moving very slow. It just, um, it now you, you feel it coming. So you know, it's there, but it's still moving slow in that direction. Yeah. And, and, and again, if you're a retailer in your, in your sense, um, an e-tailer, I just heard that Amazon's getting 44 cents of every dollar that's moving from, you know, offline to online. And so how do you now position yourself against the one click of Amazon um, that's sort of taking everybody down? So to me, it's just calculating, uh, becoming a calculated crystal baller and sort of seeing what could take you down and then putting a plan together to evolve or innovate your business forward that gives you an advantage against those fears. And to me, that's, that's sort of the beginning of it, of, of being a courage brand. Now, it's much easier if you're running a three-person company than a 30,000-person company. So to me, the steps that I look at, it's first, it's about clarity. Like, what are the values of the company and how are you making decisions through those values? Are you taking those values seriously? You know, I always say core values are not high roles. They're how the exceptional role. And so when you have them and you're using them as decision-making filters, it can actually help you decide where you spend your time. And by the way, when you have values, especially at a big company, that's how you make believers, assuming you're living by the values of the company. And it also makes it easy for them to make decisions because they know where you stand on certain issues. What I've learned is that if you don't know what you stand for, how do you know when to take a stand on something? And these are the tenets of courage. Like it's about clarity and it's about conviction. And if you have real conviction, then you can decide what the cause is, which is the third C of the company. And then you can decide how to move forward. So that's a lot in a little bit of time here. You've got clarity, conviction, cause, 
And if you get those three right, you have a shot at a cultural change. So I'm trying to think values and I'm using some, um, you know, basic example sale. Let's say I have an e-commerce business and I sell something not exciting, not kind of, um, you know, not your typical thing with the cause. So let's just say I sell, you know, headlights for used cars, you know, what are my set of, what is an example of a set of values that they could think of themselves as to become more, um, more courageous to kind of have a set of values moving forward? So, so first of all, again, remember I've, I've only been doing this for 20 years on the, on the consumer behavior side. So I, I love that you brought this example up because it's of my experience that rational tells, but irrational sells. And so you're not selling headlights. You know, what, what do the headlights empower people to do? I mean, and to me, I think you've got to get down to what is the real creature of your company. You know, don't market the feature, market the creature. Um, and to me, that's the idea. Even if you're a headlight business, what are you really empowering? Peace of mind, confidence and comfort. I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. I want to know that the headlight that I'm using will always be there for, uh, for me. So I'm not even thinking about it because what I really want to be thinking about is keeping my kids safe. So to me, it's, it's moving from a head benefit to a heart benefit and really getting to the emotional psyche of the way we operate as imperfect creatures, which we are. So I'll give another example. The house that I bought, my wife did all this research on the house that she wanted. She found this house that she wanted. I went and looked at it. It was beautiful. It worked for us, for our family. I know why I bought the house. The reason I really bought the house was because the banister reminded me of where I grew up as a kid. It looked exactly like the one we had, you know, for my mom and dad's house. Now, later I justified it with, oh, the schools are great and it's in a great neighborhood. And I'm sure we can flip this later. But I honestly knew why about the house. And it was an emotional reason. And I think that's the thing. Don't sell yourself short. No matter what business that you're in, you have to find the emotion, emotional reason that people are going to buy your stuff. Hmm, I like that. Um, so don't sell with the head, sell from the heart. Um, I feel, I feel like an example of everyone probably used this as like Apple, something like that. I remember like when the iPhone first came out, you know, there was, I had like a HP, I'm dating myself, but you know, the HP mobile phone <laughs> and yeah. it sold a cell and they kind of said, okay, it has, you know, 64 megs of memory and you could upgrade to 120. And it was like this like memory race and CPU race and the iPhone came out and there weren't even like specs on like the processor. Like you didn't care. You just said this thing's like almost magical. Um, and, and they won versus like an HP, you know, the, the 128 megs of RAM wasn't, uh, wasn't exciting anyone. So let me go back to that word that you just said. It was almost magical because the main three core values of courageous, number one is sacrifice. So I think the most important thing is the most important thing. So how do you sacrifice everything else? Sometimes, sometimes really good businesses prioritize, but you're never going to get to your full list. So to me, I like sacrifice. Do two or three things really, really well. And we're going to help you make choices on that. Number two is speed. This isn't just the obvious part that real time is like happening now and the world's moving so fast. But even the people that I partner with have been in the business 15, 20 years. So it's like a special forces unit. Um, you know, again, for the most complicated jobs, you hire us. That's, that's the idea. And the third uh, core value is magic. 
And like, to me, magic, when you see magic, you're like, how did you do that? You know, you're like, do it again. But the magician knows the trick. The magician knows how to do it. They've practiced and they've trained and they've trained to emote the feeling that they're looking for out of the trick. And I think exceptional messaging is magic. And it's hard to do when we live in a, this media obese universe where we're inundated with thousands of messages every day. But when you get it right, you have a company like Apple. By the way, how many features does the phone have? Is, can we even call it a phone anymore? I don't know what, what, what you want to call it. There's thousands and thousands of features. They don't market the features. They market the creature, right? They market the think different. They market the way it makes you feel. Just to put a, a, a little pin on this, I think it's very easy. And again, I always go back to like real life situations because we have this mass problem of leaving our real life at home. And then when we go to business life, we bring business life to the table when there should be really no daylight between the two universes. So I like to use real life examples because you're selling your stuff in real life, right? To, to try to un, like help people understand how they can be emotional and primal with their messaging. So, you know, if I said to you, define love, you didn't think I was going to put you on the spot like this, but like, if I said, define love, just define love, like you love your iPhone. Yep. Could you, could you do it? Yeah. It's one of those things kind of like, um, when they say, you know, you know, when you see it sort of thing and you know, I didn't love my, my HP. I could tell you it was, you know, <laughs> it, it was great. It definitely, uh, you know, I did some spreadsheets on my phone, which was fantastic, but that thing with the iPhone, all of a sudden it was like you said, you know, this magical experience where you're like, you almost fall in love with like a piece of hardware, which is bizarre. I think, I think just to, to as you stated, I think many people can explain love. I think they have a very hard time explaining being in love. Yep. But it makes you feel. And it's, it's a complicated feeling. And if you challenge yourself to get your brand to that space where people are in love with your brand, heck, you'll take love, right? People love your brand. They're going to talk about you. If they talk about you, people get, more people are going to know about you. And then the fact that you've created an advocate there, uh, and again, I'm sure you know the data better than me. The chances of actually getting a conversion go, go through the roof. Yeah, right, definitely. Um, once you kind of have that, the thing again, Apple. I hate to. I feel like that example everyone overuses it, but it's one of those things. Um, I don't think they, they're not competing in the same like you know bloodbath everyone else is trying to just like out feature them. They have this like extra thing where they don't have to do that same you know muddy competition. Yeah, and there's plenty of phone companies out there. Yep, exactly. Plenty of phone companies, probably phones that are much better. Um, but I have an iPhone, so so we use it. So actually, back to my example, my let's go. Uh, my my Charles's headlight company. You know, so I sell headlights. It's a boring company, but I want to. You know, I want to get a different point across. I want to help folks. You know, um, help their family to see better when they're driving at night. That sort of thing. How would you actually say I should convey that to my users, my audience, people that come to my site? Like, what do now that we we decide that, so charlesheadlights.com, um, it might be a domain, but how do we actually now tell our users, this is who we are and this is what we do, and this is what we stand for? Yeah, I think, remember there's different steps of the, of, of the funnel. So there's awareness, there's consideration, right? There's purchase and there's participation. And so assuming you're actually getting awareness to drive people in, and this is the trust phase, then you actually have a shot at consideration. Now, what most people aren't thinking about 
is context. They think about their brand for 80 hours a week, 60 hours a week. And then when you throw it into a sea of other brands and other messages and you're not there to defend it, how's it going to pop by itself? And this is why it needs to be emotional. So here we are with Charles Headlight Company. Now, if I worked on Charles Headlight's company, what I would say is something like, we want you to think about this, Charles Headlights, for two minutes and we'll take care of the rest so you'll never have to think about us again. Or something like that. And now the subtext of that is what is it saying is this is this product is all about efficacy. It's all about peace of mind. It's all about it works. So if you don't have to worry about your headlights, you can worry about all these other things like paying for college or screaming kids or you know whatever else that's going on in your life. Yep. And the idea is to really understand how to have it, how to be human. And how to and then you have to convey that to the audience so that Correct. Yep. And and again, it's just giving them enough to understand. And there's a difference between showing and telling or giving people just enough that they can connect the dots for them. So this might come off a little meta, but I've always believed I'm never going to convince you of anything, but I might give you enough to convince yourself of something. Hmm. You following? <laughs> I'm trying. That, that, that was a little meta, actually. Right there. It's meta. Again, like, and, and I'm going to give you enough for you to, to look at something and decide for yourself if this fits into your life. Uh, okay, that uh, that I can follow. I feel like um, it's a great example. Jeff, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Basecamp project management software. Um, that was one of those blogs I followed for years and years, and I kind of knew what they were about. And then when we actually needed project management software here, that was one of the things that came to mind. Because um, I kind of... I kind of I, I liked how they positioned themselves, and I kind of said, I think we fit into that. Um, it was kind of one of those moments. I think you're talking about. Yeah, and it, again, it took a while, right? It, it ten years. Type of, I probably followed their blog honestly for ten years, um, and didn't need project management software. But then once we did need it, you know, it happened. Yeah, and again, I think that's the power of good marketing, and it's it's disciplined, and it's it's thoughtful, and. It lets the audience do what it needs to do. There's a great book that Jay Bear wrote called Utility, Y-O-U, Utility. But obviously he's making a play on how, it, like, does your brand have utilitarian value or not? Um, and that's really the role that we play in life is we come in and out of people's lives, right? We jump in when you need us and then let's get out of the way. And that's also understanding our role as brands in society. So again, you may think you have the, the best, uh, Headlight on the planet. Well, now, how do you say that in a way that makes sense to a mom of three kids? Yep. Right? Who's super busy and has no time. I would want to know about you because it's like, great, I have to deal with this once, and then for the next decade, I'm good. So to me, that's one way that I would look at it. And again, what happens is most people get caught up in the features or the rational side, or they say, best headlight on the planet. And then you kind of glaze over it and you're like, where's the proof? And we don't trust brands. The way we trust brands is by being human and by speaking um, normal, like just like we're having this conversation. And that's how you win people over. Yeah. And that was the thing too. Um, you know, I think once you're in that kind of consideration phase, you move a little deeper and then you start saying, okay, does it check the boxes we need? Does, you know, Basecamp allow X, you know, whatever features we were looking for at the time. Um, but to actually even consider Basecamp, we needed to first make that connection with them. And remember, you know, when we need project management software years from now, let's look back at these guys because they're, they're doing something interesting. It was kind of one of those moments. So let me give you like a few of the 
statistics that I ran into while writing the book on courage, because if I were a normal brand and I didn't have this data, I'd probably just keep going along like I was going to. So the biggest one I ran into is that 52% of the fortune 500 since 2000 are now extinct. So that's not a small number. I mean, that's half of the fortune 500 2000 to me. It's, I guess it's kind of now 18 years ago, but it feels like just yesterday. I mean, I feel like we were having Y2K conversations. So the fact that one of two are, are not here, it begs the question, are you next? Like, have you done the work to put yourself in a position to liberate your business model forward? Um, uh, uh, evidently, 9,000 brands will fall onto the, the uh, Fortune 500 in the next six decades. So that's a mass carousel of brands. Fortune 500 companies used to be around for 75 years, uh, or they'd be on, the, on for 75 years. Now it's 15 years. Um, and so, again, like the statistics aren't lying. Even the biggest companies in the world are dealing with this. In fact, the Boston Consulting Group, they, they studied 35,000 public companies and said no shape, size, or sector is safe. You could be a, a three-person company or a 30,000-person company. Um, you're suspect, basically. And, um, and to me, I think the thing here is just like accept that these numbers, these statistics might, might include you. So how, how are you going to actually create a plan to innovate forward? And like, do you understand what consumers are looking for today, right? And that's why cause is so important. Now, it can't be fake. It can't be what I call greenwashing. It has to be legitimate. Like, how are you helping people really do what they need to do or want to do? Now, you made a comment earlier about like how business used to be. Um, yeah, the good old days, let's say you wanted to buy a jacket for Boston's winter, right? In the good old days, it was a little bit different, right? There was, there was three companies that sold jackets. Let's say this is pre-internet. So three companies that sold jackets, three stores that sold jackets, but you couldn't just go at any time. You had to wait for the hours, the store hours to open up. Then you'd go in, you'd buy the one that fit great, comfortable, and you'd be done. And now there's like thousands and thousands of jacket brands. Not You don't have to go to the store. The jacket actually comes to you when it, and at any time, you want to order it at 3 a.m., 5 a.m., you name it. Click the button, it's coming to you. And the jacket used to just have to, like, keep you warm. And now, it's if it's made of mink, forget it. Your people are out, right? People don't want to have a <laughs> conversation of how uh, they've hurt an animal, right? So even the quality, the way that the, that the fabric comes together is just as important as does it keep you warm. Well, and it's this highly targeted thing now where I feel like um... – you know, people are finding jackets on Instagram and they're like targeted to them and they know exactly, okay, it's this type of person. They have this type of like lifestyle and this is like exactly the jacket for you versus like the standard, you know, black winter jacket. And like everyone kind of, you know, it has the exact same coat. Um, now it's this very like unique thing. It's not the same three coats. It's, you know, thousands of options. Well, uh, outside of a sporting event, because I'm sure you're probably a Red Sox fan, <laughs> like, where do you want to see someone else wearing the exact same shirt as you? Yeah, exactly. Good point. You know, or, or, or jacket. You know, and, and, and we all see ourselves as unique, and we wear our values on our sleeves, and we want to make a statement. And it's not like in a even a millennial way, although millennials get a bad rap here. It's it's in a way where you have a point of view, and you and you want to make sure that you're pure and honest in that point of view. 
And so as brands, we have to recognize that. That's, that's all this is about and make pivots as necessary. I like that. That actually leads me into a very good question. Um, we were talking before the show and you mentioned you recently launched a uh, courageous clothing brand on uh, selling socks actually, right? That's correct. Yeah. I mean, so, so here's like the cliff notes on my, my last three to five years. So I used to run a company called IDEA. You can call us idea. We always said it was in our name, what we did best. And I was just trying to properly position idea as a company that works with courageous companies. I, I think we believed courageous ideas are the only ones that matter. So that's where I came up with courage brands. And I'm like, I like what it sounds. I don't know what it means. Um, so I started interviewing people and over a three year period, it turned into a book. And, you know, I've interviewed astronauts and Navy SEALs and flight attendants trained for ter terrorism or ER operating alpha dog doctors who don't know what's coming through their door. Two bullish business leaders like the president of Domino's, Russell Weiner, or the founder of Method Soap, Eric Ryan, um, people at Amazon and Uber, and uh, threw it all into the soup uh, and came up with my book, Return on Courage. And I'm now the guy with the methodology. Uh, I never thought I'd be that guy with the methodology, but I'm that guy on how to actually build a courage brand. And from that, I'm like, well, listen, if I'm going to if I'm going to write about this, I probably should have a, a use case. And so um, this past December, I launched a company called Sock Problems. And you'll notice the emphasis was on sock because sock is a verb. And how amazing would it be if we could sock problems in the world with socks? And each sock in our line does strive to sock a different problem. So I actually have a few here. So this is uh, – you're looking here at this is sock hate, and uh, I call this rainbow pal. And uh, so somehow for the uh, for the audio listeners, how can we describe that sock that you're showing me right now? Yeah, this is a lovable, repeatable rainbow that's going all up and down this sock, and it's called sock hate because it really does support the LGBTQ community. And the way all of our socks work. 25% of every purchase goes back to a charity partner associated with the sock. So this particular sock, sock eight, um, goes back to the Trevor project. Um, the second sock I'm holding up now and what you're looking at here is a planet earth as an ice cream cone, but it's melting. So this is our sock climate change sock. 25% yep. um, goes back to series. And what's great about our partners is almost all of them are four star Charity Navigator Partners. If you're um, if you're a Movember lover, then this is I call this the baller. But, but it really it's it's a whole slew of lovable mustaches, and this this goes back to Movember. And what charity is that? Uh, what charity is that one for? Movember is for prostate cancer. Okay. Um, for breast cancer lovers, these are lovable little flying well, I guess boobies made out of hearts, um, and the money here goes back to the National Breast Cancer Foundation. And so right now we've got 11 problems that we're socking. We're working on our she quality sock. It's what I call it for women's rights. We're working on a sock bullying sock. Um, and we actually have our first celebrity coming on board in about three weeks. So I can't announce it now, but come August 1st, well, come August 1st, I can come back on and announce it if you want me to. All right. Interesting. So they'll be sponsoring their own, they help design the sock sort of thing. And it's some sort of charity with a celebrity? 
Yeah, they, they're madly passionate about, you know, their cause. And so they were part of the design process and we'll launch off their Instagram feed, which is super exciting for us because it's the first time we've had a celebrity love what we're doing. And that goes back to, you know, what we're talking about. If there's conviction, true conviction, then people usually want to get involved and help. Well, and that probably helps too with that, you know, direct connection, someone that's been through, you know, the example of breast cancer, prostate cancer, bullying, anything like that, you know, someone that has that connection with that would then be a very outspoken sponsor. And, um, it'd be a lot easier to connect with them over that, um, versus saying, Hey, we sell socks. Um, yeah, exactly. exactly. You know, I mean, again, every, and, and, and I actually say like, look, I am, I am not an expert in socking problems, but I partner with people that are right. So, you know, I think I, I posted this thing on, on our Instagram feed a couple of days ago. Like, what do your socks do? I mean, our, our socks fight cancer or, you know, are trying to save animals. Like this is, this is, you know, this is our sock extinction sock. So these are all the, all the animals that are on the extinction list and the money goes back to the wildlife conservancy. How many socks are there right now? How many SKUs? I think we have 11, 11 SKUs so far. So we also have sock inequality, sock racism, um, sock illiteracy. And so, you know, if you sockproblems.com, you can see the full line there. Yeah, we'll definitely link to that. It, um, very cool concept. How long has it been around? So we just launched in December. So uh, sort of uh, during giving season. But, um, you know, it's fully self-funded. So we're learning a ton as we go along. I have two partners, by the way. And um, what's nice about the three of us is we share values, but we bring completely different skill sets to the table. So I'm a story guy. Um, my partner is an operator and my other partners in the digital conversion space. So it makes for a nice little team. And, um, but like, we do not have this figured out. We are learning every day and just trying to let people know that we're here because we do think that we've got something. And again, I don't know why you wouldn't like sock a problem if you could, if you could, right. If you, if you could help somebody and, the statistics are there that everybody has about 20 pairs of socks in their drawer and not surprising our gender, we lose a lot of socks. So we're buying socks. So the whole goal is to help people express how they already feel about the topics that they're most passionate about. And, um, and we're honestly having a ton of fun and learning a lot as we try to make this into a real life company. Yeah. I feel like also to the promotion, um, the promotion aspect of this is great because, right, you can actually have people get behind something. So it's not just, you know, we're going out there and we're selling, um, trying to think. I, I started, so I used to actually just wear, you know, uh, the standard black and gray socks for um, my entire career. And then I recently got socks with little lobsters on them. So now all of a sudden I can wear, you know, striped socks and little lobster socks. Um, but like you said, they don't really have like a meaning. So like I just kind of go there and say, oh, whatever, you know, oh, my wife actually picks them in. These are kind of neat. Let's wear them. But something like this, I feel like you could actually, first you could target a group that's into that. Um, breast cancer survivors, that's a group of people. And even those charities, I'm guessing would be okay with, um, you know, helping to kind of show off and say, hey, this also kind of helps the charity, that sort of thing. Yeah. Help kind of get the word out. And then celebrities also. 
Yeah, our, our biggest our biggest pain point is, is our resources, right? And that's both time and money. So um, I'm excited because we'll be at our first event end of next week. So it's Pride. So we'll be, you know, selling our sock inequality sock, which goes back to PFLAG, and our sock hate sock, which goes back to Trevor Project, actually at Pride. And we always thought that, yes, the charity partners that really get it, that understand that we're an awareness tool for them, we're an earned media opportunity for them. Those are the ones that are promoting us and recognize what we could do for them too. Um, and I always thought we should have an event marching runs strategy but there's only so many hours in the day so i'm excited because this is the first one we actually have a booth at so I, again i can report back more on what i learned from um from being there like on the ground as people are marching and this is pride week in san fran i'm guessing oh it's actually going to be in san diego san so diego, okay yeah, yeah i know because i know they're different weeks right because i think yeah. boston has already yeah already happened yep but yeah you nailed it i mean the other thing we don't have to do is the calendar already tells the masses when they should care about particular issues. So you like if your family's coping with breast cancer, then of course our breast cancer sock is relevant year round. But if your family isn't coping, then, you know, come October is breast cancer awareness month. Come November is November. Come December is homelessness. So, the calendar already has built-in triggers that let us know when things are relevant at, at the highest level. And so it's kind of nice from a business point of view, right? You can kind of space out your peaks and valleys a little bit better instead of just having, you know, the December busy season and then crashing during, you know, the summer or whatever it happens to be. Yeah, you got it. That's very cool. Actually. I didn't even, uh, didn't think of that one. Well, it's been, again, it's like I said, it's been a, even with inventory, right? So we now have some lead time to know what our next sock should look like. Even uh, bullying, although I would prefer it to be September because we have nothing for September right now. And that's back to school. Um, you know, anti-bullying awareness month is October. So the sock that we're working on now um, in partnership with No Bully out of San Francisco will launch in October. Okay. And then will they help in any sort of promotion or what kind of? What do they do with you guys? Yeah, they have their database. And so, and they've got all their social channels too. And not surprising, they have a slew of madly passionate influencers. Um, and bullying is interesting because you've got, they, I call it bully, bullying 1.0 and bullying 2.0. You've got like 1.0 is what lots of us dealt with at school or saw, right? And that was like in person. And now 2.0 is this cyberbullying um situation where you could be anonymous and just haze people and um so from a sock standpoint we're actually exploring designs on both bullying 1.0 and then a cyberbullying sock as well which might actually be an easier and a faster read because what you don't want to do is show violence on a sock that's an anti-bullying sock yeah, that's that's actually from a design point of view. There's certain things that's a great example. You can't, you know, you have to display a concept without showing certain things. So bullying, you know, how do you actually show that on a sock? Yeah, we're, it's exactly what we're dealing with right now. It's okay. like how do we do it in a way that people will get it in a blank and um, 
you know, and people can make a difference by sharing the sock and it's got to be cool enough that people want to share too. So these are all the things that we deal with in the design process. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Definitely. We will have to uh, link to that in the show notes. I feel like um, people listen to audio, they need to kind of go to that and see the the visual representation of this. So definitely um, I'll make sure to link to all those. So thank you for that. And you know what? And again, let's go back to where we started here too. So when I think about the core values of, of, excuse me, of sock problems, the number one core value is playfulness. Now, another, the reason we chose that is because the topics are heavy enough. Like we don't want to remind people of, you know, some of their realities, right? We want to actually bring people together and, and lift people up. And so that's part of the reason the designs are, are, are really vibrant and colorful and fun um, you know, a perfect world scenario also, and this is the beauty of the internet is what if we actually connected two people that are coping with cancer who found each other through our social channels and they now have someone to lean on because of it. I mean, that would be awesome. I mean, like that didn't exist before we existed. So now we're bringing this network of people together. So that's critical for us is to make sure we keep it light even though the topics are heavy. Yeah. And doing that all from a design point of view must be a, uh, a challenge. Cause I feel like you're trying to convey some, like you said, very heavy subjects. Um, you're very, you're trying to playfully display heavy subjects, which is, um, you know, two very opposite ends of the spectrum and trying to find a way to do that on something people actually want to wear and display. Um, that's a challenge. And I think, I also think when like, again, like I'm pulling up our breast cancer sock. Like I think, Flying, lovable, heart-shaped boobies. Um, you know, for like, I don't think this looks like a threatening sock. I think it looks like something some someone would be proud to wear, and is and, and wants to share um, what they're going through because it might help somebody else get through what they've they've already dealt with. Or you know, from our gender standpoint because we're not wonderful communicators. Like if you're a son and your mom has breast cancer, like even buying the sock and, and texting a picture of it to her shows how much you just truly care and are thinking about her. And, you know, it's one of the reasons our tagline is care, wear, share. So the whole idea is if you care, we want you to wear. And if you wear, please share the story, be part of our story and share it forward. Awesome. That, that's actually uh well said. I think that's a good place to actually end it right there. That was uh, kind of perfect. So thank you for that. You got it, man. I'm so glad we could do this. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, this was super helpful. If people want to kind of learn more or find, you said the book is coming out. When when was that? Yeah, it's going to be out in January. So the, the book is called Return on Courage. And um, I think any business being your brand can return on the Courage platform. You just have to learn how to do it in a way that's calculated versus careless. And then again, ROC is how you maximize your ROI is sort of the idea here. So again, I've never learned more than those three years. It was like a gift to be able to talk to super smart people and take all of those learnings and put it into a book. So super excited. Maybe I come back on in January when the book is out and we can run it back. Yeah, that'd be great. And I'll definitely uh, link to that. So hopefully people get some uh, pre-sales and you know start looking forward to that. So thank you for that. You got it, man. Thanks for having me on. Thank you.